Well, if you're brand with a, new with us today, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here at LifeSpring. I am super excited that you're here. We are in the fourth week of a series called It Happened. And the idea behind this series is very simply this. It really does tend to happen in our lives. It happening is just a function of the world that we live in. And so often when it happens, we can get bogged down, we can get stuck, we can stop making progress. But God wants us to know how we can continue to make progress and continue to move forward even when it happens. And so we've been in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, Philippians chapter three is where we'll be. If you do not have a Bible, everything will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible because you don't own one, drop by the connection center on the way out, we will give you a Bible for free. Here's how I want to set up this morning. Usually we gain our natural confidence or our natural hope for from one of three things, either our attributes, something that is true about you, our accomplishments, something that we've done, or our abilities, something that we're able to do. So, so for example, um, attributes. Maybe, maybe you feel like, man, you're, 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 you're just that good looking. Right, like, 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 and maybe if you're a teenager, young twenties, maybe, maybe, maybe you feel like, man, I'm, I've just got it. Like, like, maybe that's where you get your attributes. Maybe it's in, you know, your long, luscious hair or whatever. Um, if you're a guy, by the way, just wait till you get about forty; it'll be gone or going away. That sort of thing. Um, maybe that's something. Maybe your confidence comes, and you're you're just smart. Like you are naturally really intelligent. You you can just things come quickly to you. You're a quick learner. Maybe that's where your confidence comes from. Uh, maybe your confidence comes from your abilities. You're, you're able to do certain things. Maybe maybe you're really good at I don't know math. Maybe you're a really good athlete. Um, Maybe you're really good at sales, really good in the business world. I don't know what it is, but your confidence comes from your abilities, or maybe your confidence comes from your accomplishments. You, you've got a track record of success in a certain thing. Maybe it's a success in academics. Maybe it's success on your job. Maybe you're just like the guy that is always getting the promotion. Whatever it is, like that's kind of where you get um, your, your confidence from. Um, and most of us have at least one area in our lives where that's true, that, where we get confidence confidence from an accomplishment, an ability, or an attribute about us. And that's all fine and good, but there is a problem. It is going to happen in some way, shape, or form to your attributes, your abilities, and your accomplishments. And here's kind of how it works out. Things that might be true of you right now, they'll either become less true of you over time, or they might simply become irrelevant. For instance, I mentioned earlier, maybe you get your, your, your confidence from your looks. Well, if you go back, like the, the way you look when you're 55 is not going to be the way you look when you're 15. It's just, it's just, it's just not going to be a thing. Um, you know, if, if you feel like maybe really smart in like a certain technological aspect right now, you give it 5, 10, 15 years, like, like that knowledge will almost be completely out of date in a lot of ways. Um, if, like, so, so ability, so attributes, like they either lose their relevance or they just become not true of us over time. And that can maybe be hard to hear, but it's, it's, it's just, it's just kind of true. Um, your abilities can often tend to diminish. For example, I, I was a really good high school baseball player, three, three times uh, all-state baseball player, played in college. Um, but, but now that I'm about 15 years removed from that, um, that little country song, I'm not as good as I once was. Like, like I'm not even as good once as I ever was. Like, I, I'm just not at that level anymore. And so, so our abilities often tend to diminish 
with time. And if it doesn't catch up with you immediately, it catches up with you eventually. Um, and then accomplishments. Let's just be honest. Accomplishments are pretty awesome in like the moment, but you give it like a week, you give it a month, you give it a couple of years, and that accomplishment that meant such a big deal in the moment, it just kind of tends to lose its meaning over time. And so attributes tend to not be true anymore, or at least they lose their relevance. Abilities fade. Accomplishments lose their meaning over time. And if you're not careful, if you don't acknowledge that, and yet your confidence is based on those things, then whether it's overnight or whether it's through the slow creep of time, you will find yourself in a place where you wake up one morning and it all of a sudden hits you, man, this thing that, that, that I've based my confidence in, this thing that I've based my life around, it, it's just no longer true of me or it's no longer, it no longer has the same relevance for me or man, it used to be a big deal, but it's, it's just not a big deal, or, or I feel like I'm maybe left behind compared to where the world is now. If we're not careful, then we end up like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, who's perpetually looking backwards, wishing that he, could, that, that he had made it to the NFL, but now he's just kind of living this kind of sort of lame life without really any direction or any purpose or that sort of thing. Um, and we can get there, if we're not careful. And in fact, just to be honest, I've been there. I remember very clearly being there my junior year of college because my life's purpose from the time I was like four until I was 21 was play baseball. And I love the game of baseball. It is so much better than the game of soccer and even better than the game of football. That's just my opinion. I'm free to be wrong, but you're free to be wrong too. So we can just agree with me and we'll all be okay. Um, and so I played college ball for a couple years at a small NAI school. And then I transferred and, and I was going to try to walk on at, at a NCAA division one school. And um, man, all the way through the tryout, I had no doubt that I was going to make the team until I didn't. And then all of a sudden, this thing that I had built my life around, this thing that I had centered my life around, was just kind of gone. And I just remember feeling stuck because it was like, well, man, I built my life around this thing. I centered my life around this thing. And um, I'm not even really sure what I do now. I'm not even really sure how I react now. I just feel kind of stuck and bogged down, and I'm not really sure what the way forward is. And some of you know exactly what that's like because it's, it's exactly where you are now. Maybe it's happening to you on the younger side of life. Maybe it's happening to you in the middle-aged season of life. Maybe it's even happening to you on, on, the, on the more elderly side of life. Maybe you've reached retirement, and retirement's been this goal talked to you about for like the last 45 years, and now you're there, and you're like, well, now I just feel like I don't even have a purpose. So, man, whether it's going to happen to you immediately or whether it's going to happen to you eventually, every single one of us will end up in the place where this thing that we build our confidence in is just kind of gone, and we're stuck, and we're like, well, what, what, what happens now? And if we don't reassess and reevaluate where we draw our confidence and our hope from, then reality is this. When my confidence is based on something about me, whether that's an attribute, an ability, or an accomplishment, then it, when it happens, when those things tend to just be pulled away from you, it is certain to paralyze you. And every single one of us is going to face that moment at some point. And listen, and don't think that preachers or pastors 
are immune to this. I, I know several guys that, man, they, they, they retired from pastoring when they were 80-some, and then they went into like this deep depression. Because even pastors are not immune from drawing their worth and their confidence from, well, I pastor a church. And you would think that if you're doing the Lord's work, then, man, you're just immune from that. But no, you're not. We're all going to face that moment where those things that we think are such a big deal and we put our confidence in are pulled away. And if we don't get our confidence from the right place, we're going to feel stuck. We're going to be paralyzed. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will happen eventually. And so we need to reassess and reevaluate where do I actually draw my confidence from? And so for that, we're going to look at Philippians. And this is what Paul writes. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, we want you, like God wants you to have joy. He wants you to be joyful in him. You can have hope. You can have peace. You can even have joy. And joy is not rose-colored glasses where everything is sunshine and rainbows and ponies. Joy is, man, I can actually feel hopeful. I can feel peaceful. I can feel, yes, joyful and happy, even when my circumstances are not. And there's a reason for that, and Paul's going to unpack that in a second. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Then he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. You might say, what in the world is going on there? Well, Paul was making a very pointed, very sharp criticism of a group of early Christians called Judaizers. This was a group of Christians who argued that in order for you to be a Christian, in order for you to be a genuine follower of Jesus, yet Yes, you had to believe in Jesus. Yes, you had to put your faith in him. Yes, you had to believe that he rose from the dead. But you also had to follow the Jewish customs and the Jewish law. And your hope of salvation was actually on how, how religiously Jewish you were, not so much on whether or not you followed Jesus. And then there were several different hangups for Gentiles in this. Um, first off, and this is where Paul's referring to the mutil, you know, mutilators of the flesh, one of the big things about being religiously Jewish was you, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. Now, as always, if you have questions about circumcision, I always encourage you to mail those to Mark at lifespringandc.com. He's our resident circumcision expert. He'd love to chat with you about that. But let's pause and think about this for a second. If you're a guy in that time, in that time frame, if you're a Gentile, you're not circumcised because they didn't get circumcised as Gentiles back then. And the conversation is, hey, we'd love you to follow Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's paid for your sins. You can be made right with God. Really? Yes. By his grace? Yes. Okay, I'm all in. Okay, well, if you want to be all in, first you've got to be circumcised. Imagine, like guys, guys specifically, imagine that conversation. I'll just be honest. If I'm in those shoes, that's probably where I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. Right? So that was one hang-up, really big hang-up. But then another hang-up for Gentiles would have been like, okay, you follow Jesus. Okay, guys get circumcised. I'm not sure about that. But then maybe this would be the really big hang-up for us, especially in the South. It would have been like, you can't eat bacon anymore. (laughs) No more barbecue. And in the South, we, we know barbecue is, like, we, we know that's referring to pig, right? Like, if you're, if you're from up North, like, barbecue is, is pork. Like, it's pork cooked and pulled apart. It's not a fish fry. It's not a method of cooking. It is pork, beautiful, glorious pork that gives you heartburn later on. <laughs> At least that's the way it works out for me. 
And so there would have been physical issues here. There would have been dietary issues. But the argument of the Judaizers was your confidence is not so much Jesus. It's in keeping the Jewish law. It's keeping the ceremonial, the religious customs of the Jews. That was their argument. And Paul's like, no, you need to watch out for these people. You need to watch out for these people. And he says, for it is we, is, is we who are the circumcision, and there he's not talking about physical circumcision. He's talking about spiritual circumcision where it's not a mark in your body. It's a mark on your heart where your heart has been changed. And this is where he points to who, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. What Paul's argument here is ultimately this. He says, watch out for these guys who say, hey, you need to be your confidence in, in the things that you do. You, in fact, the Judaizers would have put a lot of confidence in their ethnic heritage, an, an attribute about them, or they would have put their accomplishments, or excuse me, their confidence in, in, their, in their ability to keep the Jewish law or the fact that they actually had been circumcised. And Paul's like, no, don't put your confidence in that. You need to watch out for that because that's not where our confidence is found. In fact, we, we don't boast in the flesh at all. And the idea there is we don't find our confidence. We don't find our hope in anything that is a fact about us. The, way, the place we find our confidence is only in Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus. We don't find it in anything about us. We find it in Jesus. In fact, the idea here is this. True confidence is found not in me, but through Christ in me. What do we mean by that? And this, I think, will be a light bulb moment for some of you guys. So often, especially when it comes to how we approach God, we often get our confidence from, oh, I try to be a good person. I try to do the right thing. I try to live a moral life. I might even throw a 10 in the offering plate. I might try to go to church every now and then. I try to do right by my fellow person. And Paul's like, man, that's, that's actually the wrong place to put your confidence in. Because as you stand before God, and that's ultimately what we're talking about when it comes to confidence, because the primary area we need confidence is not so much in the things we do in life. It's when you stand before God, what's going to make you confident? What's going to give you hope? What's going to give you peace that God is not going to destroy you and send you to hell to be separated from him forever? What's going to give you confidence? And Paul's argument is it's not on keeping these religious customs like that the Judaizers want you to keep. Our confidence is not performance-based. It is positional in front of God. What does that mean? That means that the moment you repent of your sin, the moment you, and this is, this is going to be a stretch for some of you guys, the moment you recognize that you are in fact sinful and need a Savior, and I'll say this, if there's nothing else that you don't hear this morning, maybe because you think I'm boring or maybe because you just think this is irrelevant, but if you don't hear anything else this morning, you need to hear this. Every single person on the face of the earth is in desperate need of a Savior. That's our primary need. It's our primary need. It is not enough to try to live a good life. It is not enough to try to do religious things. Each and every one of us needs a Savior. And that's why Jesus came to earth. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. Because in and of ourselves, we cannot make ourselves acceptable to God. That's why our confidence before God is not performance-based. Because even the prophet Isaiah argues that even on our best day, all of our righteous acts are filthy, used rags. On our best day, God looks at us and says, that's just not that impressive. 
But the good news is our confidence before God is not in our performance, it's in our position because when you repent of your sin, when you recognize your need for a Savior and you give Jesus Christ control of your life and you believe he died on the cross and rose again and you surrender to him, guess what? Scripture says you become a child of God. In other words, you have the same position before the Father as Jesus himself does, a child of God. And as an adopted child of God, God will never kick you out of his family. That's where our confidence comes. It's not performance-based. It is positional. It's not in me trying to do good things. It's not in me trying to live a moral life. It's not in me trying to just do good by my fellow man. It's no, I have actually zero confidence in front of God other than for the fact that Jesus Christ lived the life I couldn't live and died the death I should have died so that through Christ, my hope and my eternity and my future is secure in Christ because my sins are forgiven, but through Christ alone and not any effort I make on my own part. It is positional, not performance-based. And because Jesus has saved me and now he lives in me through his Holy Spirit, that's where I actually get my confidence before God and even my confidence in life. Now, Let's just be honest. For some of us, especially those of us who are very individualistic, very much pull yourself up by by the bootstraps, and and that's kind of naturally how I'm wired, this kind of smacks against my pride a little bit, and it almost sounds like almost like a a moral victory, right? Because it's like, well, that sounds like real. That sounds almost like somebody who has like no ability and no accomplishment and no attributes would say, right? Kind of like, you know, when you're growing up, somebody's like, it's not how you win or lose, it's how you play the game. My thought whenever I heard that was like, well, that's something losers say. Because I want to win. Winning is fun. Losing, I don't care how I play the game. If I lost, that sucks. Right? I personally think that's funny. We can laugh in church, folks. We can laugh in church. So it may be easy to look at this and say, well, maybe Paul is saying this because, man, he ain't got no pedigree. He has no attributes that are true about himself. Now, it's actually true about Paul. History teaches us that Paul was bald and had a big nose and bad eyesight. And might have actually been a little on the chunky side. So maybe it's like, well, he obviously has no attributes that would attract you to him. And maybe he has no accomplishments and no abilities either. But Paul actually pushes back on that because watch what Paul writes next. He says, I myself have reasons for such confidence, specifically in the flesh. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, Paul's like, I can actually trace my lineage. Well, like my pedigree is impeccable. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Paul hated Jesus and the church so much, he made it his life's mission to get rid of it. In other words, he was like, man, there was nobody more ethnically Jewish than me. There was nobody religiously Jewish more than me. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, Paul's like, I've got the pedigree. These guys are saying, well, you need to put confidence in the law. And Paul's like, I'm saying you put no confidence in your attributes, no confidence in your accomplishments, no confidence in your abilities. And by the way, I can say this as someone who has every reason for confidence in that. 
Ethnically, they ain't nobody more Hebrew than me. In terms of abilities, I've done the law. I've kept the law. In terms of accomplishments, man, I was a rising star in the group called the Pharisees. But then he writes this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, watches of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That word garbage is actually a very interesting word in, in the original Greek. It's actually the word scubula. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say scubula. Now, now say it with a little more heart behind it. Okay, now go, now go wash your mouth out with soap. Because that's a Greek gutter word. Our English equivalent would be the word for dung. But the word they bleep out in conversation. That would be our English equivalent. Don't, here, don't, don't miss this, guys. Paul feels so strongly about this. What he's saying is, everything that I considered a gain before I knew Jesus, all my abilities, all my accomplishments, all my attributes, I consider them pure and total poop compared to knowing Jesus. That's kind of strong, isn't it? That, that, that everything about my life, everything that is true about me, everything I've ever done, everything I can ever hang up as a trophy, no, for me, it's like, man, compared to Jesus, it ain't worth crap. I consider all these things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says this, I want to know Christ. And this becomes the all-consuming passion of Paul's life, and it's meant to become the all-consuming passion of our life. Not, I want to make my life all about these different things that are true about me. Not, I want to just accomplish a whole bunch of stuff and have a bunch of trophies that I can have on the wall when I'm 85 years old. Not, I want to like consider to build up my own abilities. To, but no, the all-consuming passion of my life is I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. Yes, he says, to know the power of his resurrection and participation, watches, in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What Paul is saying is this, man, regardless of all the things that were true about me, regardless of my attributes, regardless of my accomplishments, regardless of my abilities, there is nothing better than being with Jesus. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. Guess what? Even if I have to suffer as a result of it, even if I have to go through it. And Paul went through it as a function of following Jesus. In fact, his life was much more difficult following Jesus than it was before knowing Jesus. And yet Paul makes this argument that you can write down, there's nothing better than being with Jesus. Nothing better. And that's what I think probably many of us in the room, what we need to settle in our minds this morning because some of us are shooting for a life and shooting for a target, shooting for a goal that we're hoping will give us the confidence and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that we're craving. And we're building our life around that thing. Maybe it's a career. 
Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe all those things kind of are not great for you. Maybe you like, like live through maybe like your favorite athletic team or maybe through gaming or maybe through shopping. I don't know what it is, but a lot of us are trying to put our accomplishment in something and we hope we gain like confidence from that thing. And I can just tell you guys, it's not going to follow up on its promise. Because the reason Paul argues there's nothing better than being with Jesus is because Jesus is literally the only one who actually keeps his promises. In fact, he writes this, skipping down to verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with many tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Why? Because their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on things that that are true in this life. But here's the thing, guys. Anytime our confidence and our hope is based on something that stems from this world, even if something as amazing as marriage or something as great as kids or something as, as wonderful as like a great career or possessions or friends, Paul says, as long as your hope is set on something that stems from this world, it's a false hope. And the funny thing is, everything in this world, it ultimately holds itself out as, hey, hey, this is the answer. This is the answer. If you don't like your looks, if you've gone bald, Rogaine or hair, hair plugs or a wig. Some of those are near and dear to my heart because I'm losing all my hair. And I've just become kind of okay with it. I mean, it's falling out, whatever. Or maybe it's like, you can't do what you used to do when you were a teen, when you were really skillful. Learn a new skill that you can throw thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars at and accomplish stuff that will mean something for like five minutes. And then it won't satisfy you anymore. Work yourself to the bone. Be a workaholic. Work 88 hours a week to get the promotion or get the money so you can retire early or have enough money that when you do retire, you can have all this stuff. The problem is you're going to be too decrepit to enjoy any of it at that point. Anything in this world, it offers a hope that, man, this is the thing that's going to satisfy you. This is the thing that's going to make you happy. So some of us base that in our relationships with people. But, some, but, but man, if you've been in relationships with people, even if you have a great marriage, you find out that marriage ain't always perfect. If you set your hope on, man, I just want kids, then you got kids and you find out, well, now I don't have sleep. <laughs> or money. <laughs> or you say, man, I just want a great career and I work on a career and I put, you put myself through all that. But now I have no time to enjoy the things that I'm supposedly earning money for. It just offers, everything in this world just offers like, hey, this is going to be the thing. This is going to be the thing. And it never actually becomes the thing. It might be the thing for like a few seconds. But it's the satisfaction of those things is very, very temporary. So Paul goes on to write this. He says, don't put your hope in earthly things. He says, but our citizenship 
He's speaking to Christians here. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lower bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. What he's saying is this. There will come a time when Jesus returns and he makes everything right. There will be a time, if, if you die before then, that you will step into the presence of God and everything will be made right. See, Jesus actually keeps his promises, and he, can, and he, prom, and he guarantees, that he can do that because after all he promised that he would die on a cross and come back to life and then he pulled it off. That's actually why we trust him. We don't trust Jesus because he, he said some really good things. We trust him because he said he would die and come back to life and then, and, and, and then he actually pulled it off. The reason Paul followed Jesus was not because he was won over by the teachings of Jesus. The reason Paul followed Jesus was because he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And some of you guys are facing that encounter right now. Some of you guys are in a place right now where something inside you is saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Something inside of you is saying, hey, you need to listen up. Because you've made your life about what you do. You've made your life about your attempts to be good. You've centered your life on a career. You've centered your life on your kids or on your marriage or on friendships. And those things have a time limit. And I can tell you if you're facing that, the way you know is there's resistance to that. There's resistance to that statement. There's this thing going through your mind that says, I'm not buying that. I'm not lining up with that. I'm, I'm rejecting that. Guys, here's what I can promise you. I have lived placing my hope and my confidence in things of this world. And I can tell you that all that ever ended up for me, all that ever resulted in for me was frustration, anger, and bitterness, especially when those things didn't actually live up to their promises. I can promise you guys this. That thing you're basing your confidence in, that thing you're basing your hope in, if it's of this world, all it will do is leave you frustrated and leave you disappointed. But Jesus does not disappoint. Jesus is exactly who you're looking for. It just comes at the cost of your pride. It just comes at the cost of your pride. It comes at the cost of admitting, I can't actually make myself right before God, not by my actions. I need a Savior. And that's the point some of us need to come to this morning, is to realize, I actually need a Savior. It's not enough for me to try to live a good life. I need a Savior. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross, guys, because we couldn't do it on our But when you step into a relationship with Christ, here's what happens. He promises us a future hope. He promises us eternity in his presence. He promises us a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more tears. Personally, guys, I'm looking forward to that. But that future hope actually gives us a present hope. It gives us a present hope because the reality is when I know where I'm going, it transforms what I'm doing. In fact, you can jot that down. When I know where I'm going, it transforms what I'm doing. When I know 
that my eternal destiny is, is being with Jesus forever, that actually completely reshapes what I do. And the reality is, guys, all of us are going somewhere. And I know for some of y'all, y'all have heard this a million times because you grew up in the South. You grew up in Bible Belt culture. You grew up with really angry preachers who talked about hell where well, the worm never dies and the fire's never quenched. And it's just kind of become white noise to you guys. But guys, the simple reality is this. Jesus indicated that every single one of us has a soul that will live on forever somewhere. And you will either live on forever in the presence of God where there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears, or you will live forever separated from God, suffering forever. God does not want that second option for any of you guys. He doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. That's why Jesus came back to life to make a way for you to return to him. And when you accept the gift that Jesus offers, that actually changes what you're doing because when you know where the destination is, it changes the focus of your life. For example, um, about this time last year, uh, my wife and I, we were starting to make preparations for uh, boy number two, tend to the world, and that sort of thing. And there's nothing that changes kind of the pattern of what you do than like preparing for a child to enter your life, or in our case, a second child to enter our life, because you plan a little differently. Um, you start putting together plans like, we need to make sure somebody can come to the house and watch our, to our toddler whenever kind of the, the moment happens. We need a backup plan so that if this happens in the moment where the primary plan isn't available, we need the backup and that sort of thing. We actually had a checklist on the refrigerator that I used because I'm a checklist guy that said, okay, when it happens, whether it's you go into a labor or in our case, when the water broke, we, I went to that checklist. I'm like, call Nicole. And then I was like, call mom because mom will need to be up here the next morning. And then there were like 10 or 15 other things that I checked off to make sure what was going to happen. Why? Because we knew where we were going. The baby's coming and it transformed what we were doing. When you know where you're going, it transforms what you're doing. And when this is true in a temporary sense, but guys, this is even more true in an eternal sense. When you know where you're going forever, it changes what you're doing now. In fact, this is the way Paul puts it. Because some of us would think, and this is, this is, I want to blow up a big, big myth in Bible Belt culture. Some of us are like, well, I prayed the prayer 15 years ago in vacation Bible school. I'm good. I'm good. Guys, here's the problem with that. That kind of thinking does not come from the Bible. And you might say, well, I thought it was salvation by grace. It is true. You do not get saved by your efforts. You get saved by Jesus. But if you've given your life to Christ, here's what I know. You live a life that's transformed by Christ. There's nothing in Scripture that says that Jesus gives you a get-out-of-hell-free card because you, because you prayed a prayer, and then you go live however the heck you want. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not actually following Jesus. Following Jesus means following Jesus. And Paul's life was transformed by Jesus. Paul knew where he was going. And so Paul makes this argument. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Because he says, he, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm securing Christ. My hope is Christ. But man, there's still work for me to do on this side of eternity. 
There's still something God wants me to become on this side of eternity. There's still things God wants me to do on this side of eternity. So I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What Paul knew was that, man, based on where I'm going for eternity, it changes how I live in the present. It changes how I live in the now. And Paul's mind was consumed with a single, all-consuming goal, which could actually be broken up into, into, into three or four categories that won't be on the screen. You could, you could write them down. So the goal or the prize that Paul's referring to, one is knowing Jesus. It's having a relationship with Christ but it even goes beyond that to deepening that relationship with Christ. That's why we like to say there's nothing better than being with Jesus and we experience his presence in his word. We experience his presence in the church. We go with him to reach people that don't know him because that's where Jesus is. Knowing Jesus is not just a prayer you pray in a moment. It's a relationship you pursue for the rest of your life. Knowing Jesus is the prize. Becoming like Jesus is the goal. Jesus saves us as we are and loves us as we are, but he wants to make us more and more like him over the course of the rest of our lives. Becoming like Jesus is a goal. And then impacting others with the gospel of Jesus is what overflows out of that. Knowing Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then impacting other people for his kingdom. Why? Because there's only two things that will ultimately matter forever. One is whether or not you got a relationship with Christ. Two is who you help introduce Jesus to. And that's it. That's it. And so here's maybe some next steps that I would put in front of us today along those lines of knowing Jesus becoming like Jesus and impacting others. The first would simply be salvation. Do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? And I know there's those of you in the room who that's not happened for you. Hey, make today the day that happens. Make today the day that happens. Stop running, stop fighting, stop clinging to your sin, stop clinging to your pride, and give your life to Christ today. The second thing that flows out of that is following Jesus means obeying Jesus. The first thing Jesus calls us to do after salvation is baptism. And we've got three people being baptized today. And, but here's the thing. If you've never followed Jesus in baptism, and baptism always happens after salvation. It always happens after salvation. It always happens by immersion. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized by immersion after salvation, you need to be baptized today. And you might say, huh, I didn't bring any clothes. We have clothes and we have towels. We got you covered. We got you covered. Following Jesus means obeying Jesus. And I can promise you, for some of you guys, the reason you may be stuck is because you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been obedient in baptism. That's your next step. The third step, when it comes to impacting others, there's actually two I want to talk about for us as a church. First is our Christmas offering. And I know for some of you, you're here for the first time, you're like, I don't want to hear about the money thing. Great, you can tune me out for about five minutes, okay? Tune me out for about five minutes. This is primarily directed to, to those of us who, who are a part of LifeSpring. You've been with LifeSpring for a while. You would call LifeSpring Church home. Um, the reason we give, guys, it, it is not so that pastors can get rich. It's not so we can keep the lights on, although that does help. We give because it impacts other people's lives. 
And so if, you're, if you consider LifeSpring Church home, here, here's what we're praying for this year. We're praying for a $15,000 Christmas offering. And here's the reasons for that. First off, we're in a position where we, we've actually got to bring on somebody in a full-time role um, for a couple of different reasons. One is because uh, our worship pastor, David, is in a season of transition and he's stepping out. Uh, and the other is because Sean Payne, he's not here today, but he's our church planting resident. He'll be planting a church in 2024 and he's going to be stepping out of our student ministry. And the time has really come for us to make a move to, to put that person in a full-time role. That's a faith step for us. And it's going to take us about 10% over what our budget is, which is really interesting because we always give 10% of what we bring into missions. But we're not cutting missions, guys. We're not cutting giving to the local church. We're not cutting giving to God's kingdom beyond us. So we're taking a faith step, and part of that Christmas offering is going to be the first 90 days of a new hire. That's going to enable us to have somebody that, come, that can come in and between worshiping kids, give full-time effort to the ministry here and make a tremendous difference. The second part of that is, man, Sean is actually taking a faith step to go full-time into planting, effective January 1st. And we've committed $6,000 already. That, that's a big part of our missions next year is towards the church that he's going to be planting. But we want to give that a little bit of a boost through our Christmas offering to, to, to kind of give him a little bit of a cushion so he can take that faith step with a little bit of confidence as he gets ready to plan and do some fundraising of his own. And then uh, the last part of that is we want to make a significant investment in our community to serve our community this year. And so none of this is about like people getting rich. This is about us making a kingdom impact through making sure we staff the right way, through making sure that we um, enable the church uh, that Sean is going to plant to start moving and getting off the ground and to enable us to serve our community in an incredibly impactful way. That's why we do it. And so if you're here and you're a part of LifeSpring, man, I would encourage you, go ahead and be praying about God, what God may have you give. And here's what I can say about giving. And if, if you're not a part of Life Spring, I do actually want to encourage you with this. Um, every single time God has called me and my wife to give, God has always provided well above and beyond that. In fact, I would actually dare you, if you're not a Christian and you want to say, well, let me just kind of test the waters and see if God's actually serious. Be generous. And just see what God might do. Because I, 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 if you want to talk to me afterwards, I've got some stories, guys, that would blow your mind. They really, really would. So we give because it makes an impact. And then the last thing is Christmas gathering. Christmas gathering is coming up on December 23rd at 7 o'clock. Every single year, guys, we always have a ton of people for Christmas. And one of the reasons for that is Christmas is still one of the primary things that people that, that don't know Jesus will show up to because of a lot of the tradition around it. It's an incredible opportunity every single year for us to share the gospel. And so there are a couple of these cards in each and every one of your seats. Those are meant for you to take to invite people to our Christmas gathering. And I want to encourage you to specifically invite people who you know, man, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus, but they're liable to show up. And guys, I, I can think of person after person that's a part of our church because, and that, that God is working deeply in their lives just simply because somebody invited them. So what's your next step today? What's the next step that's going to bring you into like a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ? Because I can tell you what will happen with that. If you start taking next steps and start saying, okay, I know where I'm going. It transforms what I'm doing. I'm living for eternity. Here's what happens in your life when you start to take that, those steps. You actually do start to have confidence. Your confidence is in the right thing. Why? Because you're now giving your life towards something that's going to last forever. 
Guys, the kingdom of God is not something that only pastors are meant to have a single-minded devotion towards. It is meant to be the single-minded focus of every single believer that we give our lives for the sake of God's kingdom. And in that way, we know, man, whether it's giving, whether it's inviting somebody, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether it's serving, we know that reaps eternal rewards. We live confidently because we know that, man, what we do now, it echoes in eternity and, and it always matters. You gain confidence. You gain clarity in what's actually important. When you start living with this idea, man, like Paul says, one thing I do, I press on towards the prize that Jesus Christ has called me towards. Guess what? What's actually important actually becomes into an incredibly clear focus. And that's not to say that, man, you've got to step into full-time ministry or be like a full-time missionary or anything like that. But man, what it does is it infuses eternity in your day-to-day life. Yes, I'm working a job, but God has put me in this job with this particular skill set around this group of people. Why? Because this group of people needs to know Jesus. And he's put me around these people to show them Jesus. God's given me a family. He's given me a couple of boys. Man, not just to have fun and not just to create some good moments and not just to teach them about baseball or something like that, but to help raise them up to follow Jesus. That's why God's put those two boys I have in my life. That's my purpose as a dad. What's important comes into focus. God blesses me with resources. Man, not for me to hoard them and keep them to myself, but to leverage them in a way that impacts eternity and changes people's lives. What's important comes in to focus. And then the other things that happen are very simply this. When what's important comes into focus and I live confidently because I'm living for eternity, guess what? It is no longer able to stop me. Because the reality is, guys, and I would even argue this, and this may, like, deter, like you may feel like you're not a very good salesman for Jesus. I'm just going to be honest for you. Following Jesus will probably complicate your life. Can I just be honest on that? Following Jesus will probably complicate your life. But here's what I can promise you. It will give you clarity. It will give you confidence. And it will not be able to stop you. Because you can know, man, I've got Jesus. And I may even be going through it as a function of following Jesus. But that's not going to stop me because Jesus is still with me in it. And Jesus is actually going to redeem it and use it to show other people Jesus. And that's actually the last thing that happens when you take these next steps. When you live with a single-minded devotion, you gain clarity on what's important. You live your life with confidence. It no longer stops you. And you impact other people. And you impact them forever. And there's nothing better than that. That's why, Lee, we like to say that the mission moves us beyond us. When we live for Jesus, it takes me out of this self-centered, selfish life where I live for myself, and I actually live for the glory of God and the good of other people. That's where Jesus is taking me. So what do you need today to bring your life into a single-minded focus and single-minded devotion to Jesus and his kingdom? Because, guys, that will not only get you unstuck if you're stuck, it will keep you moving when it happens. And when you come to the place in life where your attributes start to not really be true or at least become irrelevant, or your abilities start to wane, or your accomplishments lose meaning, guess what? You still have clear-minded focus that, yeah, I may not be that great at this thing anymore. Yeah, I did this thing, but it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, my attributes are not what they used to be. But man, I've got Jesus. And at every season of life, I can live in a way that's for his kingdom and that matters in eternity. That's what changes our lives. And that's what ultimately impacts others.